Hello and welcome to The World in 10. This is your daily update on the biggest stories from around the world, seen through the eyes of the Times of London. I'm Steve Holden and coming up, how the Oscars crisis team is avoiding another scandal at the Academy Awards and meet the gay British teenager who made sporting history. Before all that though, spring is around the corner, but it has been a long winter, not least in Ukraine, where frontline fighters have battled the cold as well as the Russians. The fight goes on, perhaps most brutally, along the Eastern Front and the town of Bakhmut. It's been at the centre of heavy fighting for months now, but with that, heavy losses as well. The town itself, according to eyewitnesses and people who've been there, is now mostly a pile of rubble. But Ukrainians still hold it. The thing is, Russia wants it. It's not exactly a strategic location, but it has become this symbolic one, I guess. Earlier this week, the head of Russia's Wagner mercenary group said his fighters had captured it all, but it appears Ukrainians are still holding out. The wider issue for many fighters is this stalemate of sorts, a lack of progress, which has proved a frustration, especially from the Ukrainian side. And the Sunday Times foreign correspondent Christina Lamb has been exploring this. She's been to the Eastern Front to speak to soldiers who are on that front line. These soldiers from the 131st Battalion had been in a, a place about an hour north of that in a forest which they referred to as the cursed forest because the fighting was so difficult and so it lost so many people. They were managing to hold the line, but they were not managing to actually make any progress and that they were partially blaming on, on not having enough Western weapons. In her dispatch, Christina gets across a sense of fatigue amongst the Ukrainian soldiers waiting for this Western weaponry. There's this quote from one of them, we are tired of just defending. They know if this war goes on for a long time as a war of attrition, that that benefits the Russians because they have far greater resources, much bigger country, much more manpower. They've survived this winter, but it's been hard and that they you know want to get this done they don't want to have to go through another winter but western weaponry is coming to ukraine tanks from canada and poland have arrived german leopards uh, those 14 british challenger tanks will get there soon uh, there are more armored carriers coming munitions rockets and elsewhere thousands of ukrainian recruits they have been sent for intensive courses in america in france in germany in the uk as well american kit is arriving but as christina reports in her piece when you are stuck deep in a pine forest holding off the russians in the middle of winter that delivery can seem a long way off. So sometimes you'll be hit in the face with a load of strawberry. Other times it's cherry. I've had pineapple in my face. Other times you'll walk into a puff of bubblegum smelling mist. I'm talking obviously about vapes and the growth of them which has been just huge. They seem to be everywhere right now and smoked by all ages. 
but an undercover investigation by the Sunday Times has revealed how prevalent illegal e-cigarettes are on the high street. And when we talk about illegal vapes, it's one with a puff capacity or a nicotine level above the legal limit. Now, the paper's special correspondent, Josh Glancy, says when he posed as a purchaser, shopkeepers were quick to reveal their stock of unlawful products. The trading standards officers I went out with are doing a lot, are really focusing on that now. So, so sending in their own kids, for example, to teenage kids to see if they will be able to buy vapes, despite the fact that obviously you're supposed to be 18 and above. And they've generally found about 40% of the time Shops will sell to teenage kids, to underage kids. In Britain, it's thought 4.3 million people now vape. A decade ago, it was just 800,000. The growth really is gigantic. And lots of the vapes out there are definitely branded with the younger market in mind. It's bright colours, it's attractive flavours, it's, it's almost like a pick-a-mix at times. And during his investigation, Josh found that shopkeepers are very quick to bring out these unlawful e-cigarettes with too much nicotine when a buyer requests a stronger product. You say, have you got a, do you have a random tornado or do you have an Elux 3500? And, and that shows you really know what you're talking about. And generally, they often do. Some, some said no. But, you know, they would emerge these super strong vapes from under the till, from behind the cash, from in the storeroom, from boxes. I guess you can argue vaping saves lives because authorities certainly see it as far healthier than smoking a cigarette. But I guess we don't know the full effects long term of them. I think for now, just get used to those scents of watermelon, mint, lime, mango filling the air. And you can read Josh's full report in the Sunday Times. Last year, Jake Daniels made sporting history in the UK. He was 17 at the time and he came out becoming the first active male professional footballer to say that he was gay publicly. He plays for Blackpool Football Club and he's at the start of his career, not at the end. He's not about to retire this is him at the beginning. It was a momentous occasion, not least for people who will come to see Jake as a role model in the game. And the Sunday Times has been speaking to him. He's now 18. He's got a boyfriend and he still lives with his mum just north of Blackpool, which is in the north of England. In his interview, he speaks about that feeling about when he came out. I kind of liked it. I kind of liked being able, because the first time for me ever to be able to express myself properly and tell people who I found attractive and who I didn't. What you get from the interview with Jake is a sense of how confident and happy he is with himself, with his situation, with his family and with the football club. And he says any of his worries didn't actually materialise. I think for me it was scared of losing things, losing friends, losing friends off of it. But us as boys, you know, we'll go swimming together or go to the gym and we all get changed together. And I never wanted it to be like, he's looking or he fancies me or something. That that was what I was quite scared of. I didn't want to lose them friendships that I have. And it didn't. It brought us all closer, which is obviously the most amazing thing. There was something otherworldly, wasn't there? And almost disturbing about what happened at last year's Oscars. Seeing Will Smith walk up and just slap Chris Rock on stage. 
Nervous laughter? Was this a prank? No, it wasn't. Far from it. And it became arguably the most notorious moment in the Academy Awards' long history. We're one year on. It's Hollywood's biggest night again. And Amy Gill has been finding out how organisers are trying to avoid any more controversy. Well, after the infamous slap, Will Smith was banned from Academy events for a decade. Now a so-called crisis team has been created on hand to react to anything that comes up instantly. But the thing is, no one expected last year's host to be assaulted, right? So how do you rehearse for that happening? Well, according to the Academy's chief executive, Bill Kramer, they have run many scenarios and will be prepared for anything. The Academy was criticised last year for its slow response to the slap. Will Smith was still able to collect his Oscar for Best Actor and it was a couple of days before his ban was actually announced. So the crisis team will make decisions much quicker and step in to ensure any controversy has been contained. They've actually already had to weigh in on a decision to allow British star Andrea Riseborough's surprise nomination for Best Actress after an outcry from some that Viola Davis and Danielle Deadweiler, who are both black, were overlooked. Chris Rock, meanwhile, hands over his hosting duties to Jimmy Kimmel and for the first time in over 60 years, the red carpet will actually not be red. It's champagne coloured, although I would prefer to say beige. (laughs) If that's the only controversial thing about this year's ceremony, though, that's surely progress. I'm Gill reporting there, and if you want access to more of the journalism you heard on this podcast, analysis of the Oscars winners and losers, then take out a digital subscription to The Times of London. Other highlights today include an interview with undoubtedly one of the most promising actresses right now, the star of Wednesday, General Tega, plus an interview with the man hoping to succeed Nicola Sturgeon as Scotland's First Minister. Until next time, we'll see you soon.